0: we have a lot on the plate tonight. We got the second round of the NBA playoff. Well, the NBA playoff second round is starting to, uh, starting to sort of come a little bit into focus, uh, as well as the Stanley Cup playoffs, actually. The second round is underway currently, as we do have a one-to-one tie right now through one period of play between the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders at the TD Garden with goals by David Pasternak and Anthony Beauvillier. Uh, We also have some news about Julio Jones. Where might he be headed potentially? Uh, We have an injury to talk about as well in the NBA that maybe perhaps could limit uh, a certain team as far as to how far they go, which, I mean, looks like so far they haven't been affected but who knows the further the further we go here in the nba playoffs uh we have a lot more as well to uh to talk about uh if you want to call in tonight you can call in at 657-383-1308 a programming reminder of course this upcoming thursday we will have the the top 10 survivor heroes rankings Uh, that we will be discussing at 9 p.m. Eastern. And the following night, this was just announced by our producer, Jim Early, on his Twitter account. Uh, We will be very lucky to interview Joe Del Campo from Survivor Co. Wrong. It looks like from the sounds of it, there's going to be a few bombs that are going to get dropped that night. So next Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, if you're a fan of Survivor, be sure to be sure to uh, to tune in and listen to the elder statesman of Survivor. Co wrong, uh, Joe Del Campo will be joining us. Uh, but let's get started with tonight's show. Uh, I currently have Lou on the line with me, and I'm sure that maybe we might hear from Evan or maybe JB potentially tonight. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Lou? All right, Steve. Well, uh, for, to start off the night, uh, I remember we asked this question last week, Lou, uh, in regards yes. to the Stanley Cup playoffs. What may happen when it comes to the Canadian teams once yes. Amer- once Americans have to face off against Canadians? Well, according to Darren Drager, he is claiming that a travel exemption is expected for the semifinals to allow American teams to go into Canada. Thank God. So that one, like like I said, you know they they've probably been working on it for quite a while, and you know just uh, they're just starting to uh, make it official. The closer that they get, you know, to that time, which actually, if I look at the uh, stand or if I look at the brackets, I should say right now that they have at least another round to go. Before that yes. takes place, because obviously, of course, the uh, winner of Toronto and Montreal, which they're currently they're currently scoreless through two periods right now. Uh, if Toronto uh, ends up winning boring. tonight, they will take on Winnipeg. But if Montreal wins tonight, then we will have a game seven. I presume it would be Monday, maybe. Yes. Oh, I think I, I goofed. Yeah, I'm not sure because of uh because of Memorial Day whether things would be different but I mean granted Memorial no, Day No, no, actually really not because a, they American have been far for Memorial Day. Yeah, cuz I, I I was going to say I believe I believe Memorial Day is mainly an American holiday anyway. So uh, a- Yeah. So oh, it is it is for Canada as well? Yes. Only oh, they celebrate oh, okay. two
1: day. I think they celebrate two days later. Not the same day, but they do celebrate. But
0: remember oh, okay. the
1: Finals had begun on Memorial Day before.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And actually I, I am looking at the uh at the upcoming score the upcoming schedule and yeah, they do have it listed for uh for Monday as the later game. So I assume uh with the Islanders Bruins game two uh starting at seven thirty, they're probably gonna start Canadians Maple Leafs at eight. I think. Sort of like Sort of like a flip-flopping of what they've done tonight, uh, but yes, uh, I, I want to start off first with the Maple Leafs and Canadians. First off, I'm shocked that this game is even tied uh, going into the third period here, scoreless, no less. Mm-hmm. As both both teams have had quite a few quite a few different opportunities. The Canadians, in general, they had one golden opportunity this past uh, this period here in the second period. But uh, I think they're seeing the big mistake that they made of starting Eric Stahl over Thomas Tatar tonight is proving to be a mighty big one as Stahl absolutely whiffed on a golden opportunity uh, with a wide open net. And I mean, Canadian, this is it for the Canadians, you know, only – and one more, one more loss, and they're pretty much out of it. So right now, uh, the Canadians they are out shooting uh, Toronto twenty-one to fifteen, and huh. it does kind of seem maybe. Or, no, actually, no. Uh, the thing is, Toronto has been without John Tavares for pretty much this entire, except for the first. Mm-hmm. When did he get injured? Was it game one or game two? I believe it was game one. I could be wrong, but I think it was. Okay, so he's been he's been basically out for the entire series for the most part, uh, still with the concussion. And Ugh. so far, at least, it doesn't look like it's affected the Maple Leafs that much, as they've still been yeah. a high-scoring offense. Uh, yeah. But with the – you know, the Canadian – here's the thing about the Canadians is it sort of feels like carry not, not only has their offense been struggling, but also carry price doesn't seem to be the same carry price that everybody no. remembers as being, as being an elite goaltender, uh, you know, one of the best in the league. And, quite frankly, I mean, first off, it's an absolute shock that the Canadians even made the playoffs to begin with, but now the fact that they have the opportunity to potentially extend it to a game seven, you know, I really thought that, that the Canadians would all, that this series would already be finished by now. And it also raises the question too, that, they thought by getting rid of Claude Julien, you know, there would be a difference. Sure. There would be a significant difference, and the the Canadians would so, would somewhat turn things around. But it doesn't seem to have been the case. Is really the Canadians? They were on they were on the uh, you know they were on track to basically be a fringe playoff team, if anything, under Julien yes. and. It's kind of been pretty much the same thing here uh, ever since the coaching change. I mean, what are your thoughts, Lou? Do you think that Montreal can, uh, can force a Game 7 tonight, with especially with the amount of chances that they've had so far? Well, if they keep blowing these chances, I don't think uh, they're going to be able to hold up. So I think this is Toronto's game
1: uh, to take it. So I don't think we'll have a need for a Game 7 yeah, and they haven't done
0: it. Yeah, so far, uh Toronto has been limiting limiting the amount of giveaways as they've only given up the puck nine times compared to Montreal's twenty. So Montreal is having a real tough time hanging on to the puck so far tonight.
2: Yeah. Uh
0: however, they are winning they are winning the face offs, fifty five percent to forty five percent. Uh they have been the less disciplined the less disciplined team, though, going to the box twice as opposed to Toronto's uh, lone visit to the box. Uh, you know, I've been following the uh, the game. Well, I was watching the game uh, before the Bruins came on, but once the Bruins game came on, I was following mm-hmm. in a uh, chat room on a on a uh, message board that I'm on for hockey, and. Yes. It really seems like not only have the Canadians you know squandered a whole bunch of opportunities, but it's just it, it uh, they've basically said that the Canadians have quite frankly been playing with no lines tonight, essentially
2: mm-hmm.
0: like they're shocked that that somehow the game is still scoreless, despite the fact that Montreal, despite the opportunities they've had, the squandered opportunities, I guess guess apparently people are surprised that Montreal hasn't even given up a goal yet,
2: Mm. considering
0: the fact that they don't really have that bona fide top line, you know? Yeah. But I we also have the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders taking uh, starting the second period, I should say, right now. Uh, the Islanders, they got on the board first with a goal by Anthony Beauvillier off of their power play. Then the Bruins, very late in the first period, got a power play with about 30 seconds left and saw ah. a goal from David Pasternak uh, to ah, sure. leave the game tied at one goal apiece. Uh, The shots after the first period were 18 to eight in favor of the Bruins, Uh, 19 scoring chances for the Bruins compared to five. So the Islanders, they got off to a bit of a slow start offensively. And uh, one thing, one thing that is good for the Islanders is they are out hitting the Bruins 21 to 13. So, so far uh, the Islanders have been the ones that have been pushing the physical, the physical pace, so to speak here. Um, And, you know, I said this last week that between the Islanders and the Penguins, I felt it would be a much harder matchup for the Bruins to take on the Islanders as opposed to taking on the Penguins, which Mm. I was proven correct because uh, at this time last week, the the Penguins were tied at two apiece with the Islanders, and Tristan Jerry gave up probably one of the easiest goals imaginable in in overtime uh, by basically passing to a wide open to a wide open islander in front of in front of the very uh, in front of his very own net, which basically spelled spelled series over, essentially. For the uh, for the Penguins, even though they still had one more game to to potentially tie it up, um, but yeah, yeah you know, so far, uh, we are definitely seeing a very even game. I believe, even though yeah, shots don't really, even though the shots don't really tell that tale. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're watching the do. game right now, Lou. Uh, Looking back and forth between the
1: there's... basketball game and this, with this, with this game here between the. Stickers
0: and the Wizards is pretty much no contest. Oh yeah, no. You know I. And that's you know that's a whole that's a whole other thing that we have to discuss too. Not only the fact that the Wizards are getting blown out in this uh, in this series, but also the fact that uh, you know the Wizards, uh, in particular, Russell Westbrook was the target of. of yes. some fans at the last uh, at the last game,
1: and it happened also a day
0: later uh, between the Knicks and the Hawks. Uh, I believe Trey didn't Trey Young get spat at by a couple of uh, by a couple of yes. Knicks fans, I believe. Yes. I mean, you know, what what are your thoughts on the, on the, on on this, Lou? Because you know, it's not not just that, but also we saw Ja Morant's family apparently get threatened yeah. by a couple of Utah Jazz fans. Uh, well, you know, see, this ja- is
1: nothing new. This is nothing new with fans getting rowdy and getting out of hand. I mean, on one hand, it's great to see fans back, but you know, we didn't come to see this. You know, fans getting off. All- ticked off or everything because they don't like what happened with one of the calls. So instead of just booing, he had, they had to get a little more physical and do you a know, like throw things at the players and whatnot. And it just ruins the game altogether. I mean, we've always had that. I've been a victim myself of uh, getting, getting gouts with things uh, from another, from another dumbass from up above. So it's nothing new. It's been going on for years, but the leagues need to crack down on these, on these uh, instances so they can, so they can prevent from happening again. Look, if you, the old thing is if you see something, say something and have it reported, so you can remove you can, you can remove the dumbass and hopefully it won't happen again.
0: I mean, you know what? How is it oh, exactly. things
1: the are too soft.
0: and you, and you know, another, another thing as well is you know, I understand that fans are were tired of being cooped up uh, during quarantine well, and everything one. and and the fact that, you know, now with sta- with uh, with states Starting to reopen to uh, to close to max capacity, like at the Bruins yes. game tonight. You know the uh, TV Garden is almost completely packed. Uh, yep. They said that they would be filled to near capacity, and uh, I'll tell you one thing: the crowd is definitely is definitely uh, definitely ramping it up tonight. Uh, even last night, That's though, exactly. the, uh, even last night though, the Celtics and Mets game, which we'll mm, get to in a little no, bit. No. Uh, you know, there were only five thousand fans there last night, but it sounded yes. like fifteen. It sounded like fifteen to seventeen thousand fans on TV. Yes. So I mean,
1: you know, it's great to
0: have fans back, but that doesn't mean you have to be an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, this uh, this also brought up another another point here too. With uh, Kyrie, I I assume you've heard the Kyrie Irving uh, comments that he made following Game Two, uh, where he basically talked about the the rampant racism uh, that has been that has that has come out of Boston for years, and apparently, I find I find this kind of funny though because well I don't find it funny you know in the you know the fact that people are. Right. making racist comments. I'm not, I'm not finding yeah. it that way, but I'm finding it funny that Kyrie says this now when, during his time in Boston, he said, oh, I've never experienced any any sort of racist, uh, any, any sort of uh, racism while I was here. But yet You're now, lying. now all of a sudden, uh, now all of a sudden that he's out of Boston, I guess apparently things have changed. And you know what? All he did Was he pissed off the fans? If anything, like the fans were already pissed off at him, but he just made them even more angry. Uh, Yeah, with the chance of with the chance of fuck you, Kyrie, all night last night. Every single time he got got the ball, (laughs) and yeah, uh, you know, luckily there wasn't any, you know, any racist comments or whatnot that were that were said. But what I found very interesting is instead of backing up, uh, instead of backing up the organization and backing up their own fans, certain members of the Boston Celtics actually agreed with Kyrie <laughs> Irving. And yeah. you know, it kind of makes you, it kind of makes you wonder. You know, the, I mean, it's a, it's obvious though that you know not only is this happening in Boston, but I guarantee you, it's probably happening in other arenas you know oh yeah this isn't something that is just exclusive you know to to boston but i just i find it kind of interesting that the players are taking the side of another player before they're taking the side of their fans or their organization and you know, if 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 you're put if a player is putting out these these accusations, and you know it's not just him, but also uh, Kevin Durant said Kevin Durant made a snide yeah. comment also and said, and he said oh, the whole world knows this too, or something along yeah. the lines of that. Um, you know, it kind of it it kind of makes you think: could this potentially? uh Defer? Could this? How do I put this right? Or how do I? How do I uh, explain this? Um Could this potentially divert players from potentially signing in Boston, regardless of? Uh, I do so. Of what sport it is?
1: No. No. Find a way to comment.
0: Uh, you know, I want. I want I to, to say to this I about Boston. Know. I should. Uh, 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 let, let me not put it about Boston. Actually, let me ju- let me just put it like in general. If there was a t- if there was a, uh, a city, you know, that was put under fire like Boston, what like Boston has been this past week, ever since Kyrie made those comments. Do you think that it would, you know, that it that it would uh, it would paint the organization, regard regardless of what city it was. Uh, in a negative light, that oh players would be players would be less uh, would be less favored to go to that to go to go and play for that team.
1: Well, it does leave a black mark on it, but I don't think it's going to cause too much of an effect. I mean it's it's all it's all over the place really, and I don't think it's just going to you know just single anybody. So I I don't think it's going to cause much damage.
0: And the thing, the thing that, that gets me, too, is the fact that literally every single team has been, uh, has been fully supportive of the whole, uh, you know, the, the fight against racism and everything. They did the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Uh, right. You know, after, after the George Floyd incident, they, they stood by their players as well when players wanted to, you know, not play. For, uh, in protest, they stood by their players and everything, and yet apparently, you know, now all now all of a sudden, the picture is being painted like like it's the the organizations should be at fault for what their fans are doing. Yeah. They do got to take action though. I mean, they do got to take they do have to take action. Yes, and actually. Uh it's funny that you mentioned that because the Washington Wizards fan who threw popcorn uh on Russell Westbrook and I don't know if he threw anything else I I only saw popcorn. Uh That's he awful. has he it's it's been mentioned that he has had his season ticket revoked and also he has been banned from the uh from the arena. Now he should Oh yeah, definitely. As a or and it, I'm sorry, not not Washington. It's uh, Philadelphia. It's a Philadelphia yes. fan. Um, because obviously that doesn't make that doesn't make sense. Why would a Washington fan be throwing be throwing uh, stuff at their own player? Uh, uh, has there been anything? Has there been anything yet about the uh, about the New York Knicks fan that spat on uh, on? Trey oh Young? yeah,
1: he's from firing squads. No, no. He's been he's been he's been banned.
0: Okay. That, that's you know, that's what I that's what I kinda of figured. Uh what would probably have uh what would probably have happened. And the same thing goes <laughs> as well for the Utah Jazz fans who uh who made uh who made threats to uh to John Morant's family. Uh they have been effectively dealt with as well. Um You know, it's just, regardless of what sport it is, there's no, you know, there's no spot for stuff like this to take place. I mean, I understand. I I mean, I uh, I was
1: on another show tonight, and a very interesting point came up. Um, Well, of course, you've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. Do you think maybe that the fans are suffering from this, and, you know, they're just letting that aggression after being, you know, stuck with, no game is over a year and that's what is happening, or is it just being the usual uh, dumbasses that have been doing this
0: for years. I mean, I wouldn't exactly call it PTSD, but I think it's yeah, more okay. of the fact that be- I think it's more the fact that because America is finally free, or not just America but Canada. Uh, you know, Almost. because everything is starting to open up again and whatnot, fans feel apparently like they have a right to act like assholes because of the fact that uh, things are starting to get back to normal. So I honestly feel that the instances that we, that we have seen this past week have all been because of the fact that fans feel like they have the right to do that because of the fact that, uh, that, uh, you know, this is the first time, this is the first time that fans are starting to pack arenas to near full capacity uh, ever since the pandemic started.
1: Right. I mean, look, but, I get the point. You missed everything, everything. But under no circumstances do you do a ridiculous act like that. That's that a consider on the basis of, say, um, even though you're not a player, but unsportsmanlike on conduct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, exa- you. exactly. That's the honestly uh, actually you know i i was gonna i was gonna throw this uh throw this thought out there but it it wouldn't really make sense from a from a standpoint because I was gonna say you know oh. maybe perhaps because of the fans uh being as rowdy as they are uh, ooh looks like Matt Grizzlick's going off the ice for Boston that's not good um oh it, it looks like it might be an equipment problem though uh oh. You know, with the because of the fans doing the stuff that they're doing, I would say you know maybe perhaps there be there should be some sort of punishment handed down to the team of those fans. But then again, it wouldn't really make sense because it's not like the team is at fault for whatever their fans are doing. You know, they they can't actively prevent something from going on no uh, until it actually happens although you know to sort of try and lessen the rowdiness tonight uh, the TD Garden apparently announced that you can only you can only buy two beers at a time regardless of uh, you know you can only buy two beers per trip to the beer stand Uh, regardless of how many people you're buying the beers for. uh, You can only buy two beers at a time, apparently, and that pissed off a lot of fans at the Garden tonight uh, before the game even began. Uh, But, you know, there's only certain things that teams can put into effect
2: that,
0: that, you know, can sort of limit what fans may attempt to do. Right, but that's a that's the thing, though. That's that's how unpredictable some fan bases can be. You you just never know what's going to happen. Like uh, say in basketball, for example, the uh, the huge the Ron Artest fight with the with Artest oh. and a whole bunch of other and a whole bunch of players going up into the stands to fight with the fans. The malice of the palace. You never knew that. You know, you never knew that that was. That that was gonna gonna take place, no. So, I mean, they can uh, teams can only do so much. I mean, obviously, you know, these fans, you know, they may face charges. They may face uh, charges from the police and whatnot uh, for for doing what they do. Yes. It's it's a it's a really thin line because yeah. you know these fans they can they can always potentially uh file legal charges against the specific team as well depending on how they're on depending on how they're handled you know that's why these that's why whenever whenever they're uh they're handing out punishments to these fans i mean obviously if it's if it's something you know like like spitting on a player uh, where fans aren't supposed to get actively involved with the on the court right. or on the ice product, uh, besides cheering, besides cheering and booing, you know, uh, or in hockey the occasional throwing of the hats for a hat trick, uh, you know, there's there's not really that much that teams can can do these these sort of events from happening. So, but to, to, you know, to keep to keep it simple though, Lou, uh, from from your original question, I don't think there's re- I don't think PS- PTSD is uh, really that much yeah. of a problem because I wouldn't consider it PTSD. I would just consider it the fact that that fans feel like now that now that everything's going back to normal that uh, you know they can and they've been cooped up for so long. That they right. feel that they have, they feel that they have a license that they can do whatever the fuck they want, basically. Well, they can't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They can't. They can't do whatever they want. They there's still rules. And yeah. you know, I think we're sort of. I hate to. You know, I hate to drag politics into this and stuff, but I think we're sort I of know. seeing that kind of switch. We're sort of seeing that kind of switch on uh in terms of uh of uh philosophical ideas. Uh or philo- uh-huh. you know, philosophical uh with how yes. the country is currently run and everything and you know, the fact that apparently now, you know, there isn't going to be a uh, commission set up for uh for the January sixth riot on the Capitol and stuff like that. Yes. I think we're kind of seeing that sort of shift with the fans, too, to where, you know, maybe perhaps people wouldn't normally act like this, but because of the fact that we just went through a whole pandemic and everything, Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that, you know, things have – there's been a whole lot of change uh, in the way things are run, ever since the pandemic started, that, you know, fa- fans all of a sudden feel that they have the right to ex- uh, to express either their anger or or just to, to there cause trouble to in, the in way way any anger. way. for and another goal by David Pasternak. Oh. All
1: right, Sandy, at least you got something going here.
0: We got a two to one lead for the Boston Bruins on David Pasternak's second goal of the game. I, 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 I almost, I almost happy. I almost went out of my chair as soon as that, because uh, I I you saw too? that wind up coming. I saw that wind <laughs> up coming, uh-huh. and it looks. It looks like we have a goal by Toronto. I think. Let me see. I'm going back and forth. I. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to double check here. No. But no. I be- oh, maybe I'm reading the wrong thing then. Because I'm. But on the you part, know, like, like I said, I'm going. I'm going by the chat room on my thing oh, uh, here. But we have a goal now from Montreal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Now, now it's just coming down my uh, my chat log here now to Corey Perry. A goal by a goal by Corey Perry here, and so Montreal. You know this is this is huge for the Canadians. Uh, getting a, getting a power play right here. Yeah, Corey Perry. I thought you said Katy Perry. Oh, oh, that's bad. Just a
1: Just, uh, a, joke, just Cor- a
0: joke. A goal by Corey Perry here, and it's huge for for the Canadians because you know obviously this is a, this is an, an elimination game here. Uh, yes. You know they need they need a win in order to stay in it, um, but, and you you know like, like I like I said here, ooh, ooh, wait a minute, this might be a challenge called because apparently Tyler Toffoli was in the crease when the goal was scored, so maybe perhaps they or might Brett be challenging it. They might be challenging it, but it does currently read right now that it is an unassisted goal by Corey Perry on the power play. Where's Brett Hall uh, <laughs> True. And, you know, speaking of Brett Hall, let's go into the other – Playoff series because uh, Brett Hull, if I remember correctly, he was a huge, he was a legend for the St. Louis Blues, yes. and you know that uh, what we talked about last week about how uh, Craig Berube, the Stanley Cup winning head coach of the St. Louis Blues, started bitching and moaning about how uh, how the referees yes. weren't giving weren't giving St. Louis a fair shake. Well, St. Louis got their asses kicked again in Game Four, so maybe spend less attention on the referees and more about how you can improve your offense. Maybe. Uh, yeah, that would be a start. But Cause... the thing is, though, he was a legend for St. Louis, but he
1: won it for Dallas.
0: Yeah, that's that is correct. Yeah, he did win it. He did win it for Dallas uh, during his playing career. But uh, Three huge he was. But he he is known as a St. Louis Blues legend as well. Um, I mean, hell, they wouldn't stop talking about him during the 2019 uh, Cup Finals between right. St. Louis and Boston. Um, I they got it. But Colorado, they advanced uh, kind of like we no figured, surprise. you know, we, we figured it would be uh, it wouldn't be uh, there wouldn't be a comeback, basically, in that series. And so it happened, the Colorado Avalanche, they, they advanced uh, with a uh, – bringing out the brooms, so to speak, uh, for, this yes. season, for the series sweep. Uh, they will face the Vegas Golden Knights, who went to seven games with the Minnesota Wilds. It kind of looked like maybe perhaps Minnesota might have the series, but Vegas yeah. just absolutely exploded in game seven. And you know, I'm kind. You know, I I was I was sort of on on the fence about could there be anybody potentially to stop Colorado. You know, we we said it might be Toronto. I'm kind of thinking it could potentially be Vegas too, because Vegas does have that does have that potential burst that they can. Uh, that they can put together put together a lot of goals in a short amount of time. So I wouldn't be shocked at all. I mean, Vegas they they beat Minnesota in Game Seven six to two in uh in well actually it was in Vegas. So mm-hmm. yes, you know they be apparently the NHL they put the. Uh, winning team first as opposed to, okay, who, uh, you know, who's hosting, who's hosting which game. Uh, right. But Vegas, they meet Colorado in the second round here. And, you know, this is going to be a very interesting series, I think, Lou, because it's, it's sure. two high powered offenses. You know, you got, uh, you, you do, you do have, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, who is a multiple Stanley Cup winning goaltender for, yes. the, uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, so he's definitely going to have the advantage when it comes to uh, when it comes to you know net minding. And we do have a tie now here, uh, two to two, between the New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins. Tuca, oh, let's right. buy. Let's see what kind of goal this one is. Uh no, that's a bad replay. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> this is Nope, it wasn't a deflection. Okay, that's on Tuca then. Cuz that was a uh, Rap- that was a slap shot goal by Adam Pellick. Yeah, no, uh, that was got- deflected, not like not like the first one. Mm-hmm. So that one's definitely on Rask. Uh, mm. but yeah, you know, with this uh, with this challenge here between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, you know, this could potentially be a barn burner series, uh, at least in terms of how many goals get scored. Uh um, yeah. who do you got who do you got in this uh in this series here, Lou, between Colorado and Vegas? Well
1: Colorado is considered the favorite and they show why they've been the favorite the way they've been playing, so
0: I gotta go to the avalanche. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kinda have to agree with you. It's it's very hard to ignore uh the duo of Nate McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog as well as the fact that uh, oh, they've gotten stellar goaltending from Philip Grubauer so far uh, in these playoffs and granted the Knights, Knights by Mark Stone. Oh yeah. Not ninety three ninety three point six 93.6 save percentage uh, for Grubauer so far in these, uh, in these playoffs here. Yeah. And you know, even though Mark Stone is leading the way in terms of goals for the Golden Knights, it's it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how well how these two teams match up with each other. Because keep in mind, the Avalanche are are going off of a sweep, while the Vegas Golden Knights are coming off of a game a, a seven game series, so you know, that obviously brings up the question, will rust potentially play a factor here in the, in in terms it of could. the avalanche because of the fact that, you know, Vegas, I mean, obviously, you know, the avalanche will be the more fresh team because they've, they've been getting a whole bunch of rest. However, you know, they still have had a long layoff, so they haven't been playing as much as as the Golden Knights have been recently. So the Golden Knights, you know, it would almost be like stepping out there for another, you know, for another regular season game almost. And the lead has now been extended by Montreal. Montreal leads the Toronto Maple Leafs two to nothing on a goal by Tyler (laughs) Toffoli, also on the power play uh, with goals by Nick Suzuki and Jeff Petrie. So Montreal with about 12 minutes left to go. Assuming they can hold on to this, it looks like we are heading to a game seven in Toronto. Now this next matchup, uh, we will go, you know what? Actually, let's, let's go with Boston and, and the Islanders. The game is, ti- game one is tied up right now, two goals apiece. Uh, we know that Boston ever since they, ever since they acquired Taylor hall, you know, they've been a much different team. They, they got by the, uh, they got by the Washington capitals in five games, which I will say that was kind of shocking. I kind of thought that, uh, it would go to at least six or seven games, but I did think, I did think that Boston would still be able to pull, pull through with the, with the series win. Um, the Islanders, you know, obviously they they are riding the uh, the hot stick right now, of uh, of Ilya Sorokin, the uh, the uh, young rookie in net. So we have. You could you could kind of summarize this matchup as the old veterans against the young studs. Yes. yes. In uh, in turn in terms of. Uh, the veterans being the Bruins, the studs being the young studs being the New York Islanders. Uh, how do you see this series going, Lou?
1: This is a tough battle. I mean, both teams I think are evenly matched. Um, they are kind of, they are sort of rivals or whatnot. Uh, I am going to take the, um, I'm going to be the odd man out and go with the Bruins. I think it's going to
0: be you know a tough series. I it wouldn't be surprised if we won seven games. I agree with you. I think that if it does go seven games, I think it'll be the Bruins. Um, you know, it's just hard. It's, it's hard to tell considering the fact that, you know, so far, so far one of the goals tonight has been off of a deflection by the Islanders. Mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of it is going to depend on how well the Bruins can limit the clean chances that that New York gets if they can somehow limit the clean chances because so far in this playoff Tuka Rask hasn't given up a lot of clean goals you know a lot of them have been deflections right. or redirections uh, you know pucks mainly pucks that he hasn't seen if he's right. able to limit if he's able to limit the amount of uh, you know, the amount of chances that, you know, as far as deflections and everything go, I think it's possible that, uh, you know, maybe we won't get to seven. Maybe, uh, obviously, of course, it depends on how how this game turns out as well here. Uh, yes. As, as far as how the rest of the series is going to potentially go. I would not be shocked at all considering the, regular season series that uh, the Islanders ended up taking. I think it was like five to three or something that the Islanders ended up taking uh, through eight games. I would not be shocked at all if the Islanders end up winning this in six. I do think that Boston is definitely going to make it competitive. Uh, So I I will say, I will say if it goes to seven, I give the. I, I think I'm going to give the advantage to the Bruins, but if not, depending on what happens tonight, uh, we could. If, if the Islanders end up winning tonight, I would not be shocked at all if we have Islanders in six. All right, this next matchup uh, mm-hmm. proves to be somewhat of a doozy as well, as we have the Carolina Hurricanes. Taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Tampa Bay, obviously, of course, is the defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, they're lucky that Nikita Kucherov, uh, even though he got injured last week, he is—he uh, did end up playing in the uh, in the game six against the Florida Panthers. So uh, he is officially back to uh, back to full health. Um, Carolina, you know they've been one of the one of the uh, toughest teams in the league this year. So, you know they're they're no. Let me put it this way: they're they're no Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers may have been the number two seed, but there's a drastic difference between Florida and Carolina when you compare the two teams. So, I think Tampa is going to have a potential harder matchup here. Against the uh, against the Hurricanes, however, yeah. I do see Tampa Bay pulling it out. I think Tampa Bay uh, does win this series. I think it goes to seven games.
1: Mm-hmm. Either way, goes seven games. But I went against the Green and actually moved with the Hurricanes.
0: You know, I could I could see that I could see that happening too. Uh, with if, if the Hurricanes are able. Um, you know, if they're able to uh, to light up, to light up the lamp as often as they did against the against the Nashville Predators, if they're able to solve uh, Andre Vasilevsky, you know that's going to be a very key factor in determining how this series is going to go. Is how often can they get to Vasilevsky? Because if one thing has been proven in most of Vasilevsky's playoff uh, series that he's been a part of, usually if you're not able to strike quick, he's able mm-hmm. to settle down, and it's often very hard to uh, to crack him. The further along you go into a into a playoff series, mm-hmm so i think carolina is definitely going to have to strike hard and strike often in order for uh in order for carolina to have a realistic chance of of potentially uh you know putting a stranglehold on this series but i i, I even though i do think that uh the lightning are going to are going to win it are going to win the series I would not be shocked at all if the uh if the Hurricanes are able to uh are able to put things together because they're not the number one seed for nothing in their no. division. You don't get to uh, be bad. No, of course not. Uh another thing we gotta talk about is the epic choke job by the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton, they were down two nothing in the series entering Game Three. Game Three, they had, I believe, it was a four to one lead heading into the third period. They end up choking it and get, and giving up the game winning goal in overtime to Winnipeg. Um, yeah,
2: and
0: then then in Game Four, three overtimes, and Winnipeg ends up ends up closing. Uh, Ends up closing the series in in triple overtime uh, against the Oilers, and I, I'm just I'm just stunned with, you know, with all of the talent that's on, on that Oilers roster, with all the talent that's on that Oilers roster, and yet still they were they were barely able to muster up any offense. They didn't really get their offense going until game three.
1: Yeah, just un just unreal. Ugh. All right. Well my um my partner just uh, reached me so I had to um leave for now, but I think I might be able to make it back for the third hour.
0: All right, Luke. Well uh What's it called? I will uh, I will talk to you then. Yeah, I I might be able I might be able to make it in the third hour, so I'm um, I'm hoping. Alrighty then. All right. Next All week. right. Well, uh, I will talk to you then. All right. Uh, staying with with the NHL here. Uh, the end of two at the end of two periods, we have a a two to two tie. Between the New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins here uh, in Game One of the second round, and probably the biggest takeaway so far from this game is one thing that we that that is noticeably different from previous years in 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 the Boston uh, in the Boston Bruins in terms of playoff runs is the fact that usually the top line has always been pretty much a ghost for the most part. You know, the top line always seems to disappear when you get into these big games. But so far the top line, they, they finished off the Washington Capitals series hot and they are continuing at least to start off this series against the Islanders. They are continuing to stay hot uh, with two goals so far tonight by David Pasternak and considering considering the amount of talent on that line we got two points from Bergeron with two assists we got a uh an assist by Marchand as well you know i'm anticipating that we're probably going to see a lot of chances Consider, considering the chances that we've seen so far tonight out of out of boston's first line i think we're going to see a lot more opportunities uh, for goals to come out of them, assuming that they're able to get as many chances as they've gotten so far tonight against uh, the hot rookie and Ilya Sorokin. Uh, now, in terms of games that are set to be played in the NHL, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are set to face off against the Carolina Hurricanes tomorrow at 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, that will be on NBC Sports uh, And we also have game one between the Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. That will be on NBC. Or if you're in Canada, that will be on also CBC or uh, Sportsnet. And the same thing actually goes for the Lightning and Hurricanes. They will also be on Sportsnet as well. Uh, The Golden Knights Avalanche game is expected to take place at 8 p.m. Eastern. Then, of course, you have on Monday, on uh, Memorial Day, you have the Game 2 between the New York Islanders and Boston Bruins. Uh, That is set for 7.30 on NBC Sports uh, as well as Sportsnet. And if necessary, which it seems like at this point, assuming the score holds here, you're probably looking at a Game 7 between the... Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs. Although the Maple Leafs have come back with a goal here uh, at the 11:35 uh, mark by Jason Spezza uh, with a assist to Alexander Kerfoot here, unless Montreal is able to tie it up in the last seven minutes or so, here we're probably looking at a at a game seven set to take place in Toronto on Monday. So. That is, that looks like your current schedule for the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, the next two days here. Heading over to the NBA, we have three games currently in the books today. The Milwaukee Bucks complete the sweep of the Miami Heat with a 120-103 to 103 victory uh, with A big day for Giannis Antetokounmpo, a triple-double, 20 points, 12 rebounds, 15 assists. And Bam Adebayo was a lead scorer with 20 points, 14 rebounds, and four assists for the Miami Heat in the series-crushing loss. And kind of surprising, actually, for the Miami Heat, considering the fact that they were just in the NBA Finals last year. And now you find them – with uh, essentially being the first team to be eliminated from the playoffs here. And, you know, I think it kind of tells you that the NBA bubble is a lot – I guess you could say that don't really take performances that happened in the NBA bubble for granted because it it was a completely different atmosphere You know, we were going through COVID and everything, so uh, players may have been worried about about being away from their families and whatnot during that time. And obviously we saw a different performance out of the Miami Heat last year because of that. But obviously this year, Uh, Milwaukee, they handled them. They got revenge on the Miami Heat for their elimination last year. Uh, So the Milwaukee Bucks, they are the first team that are officially etched into the second round of uh, of the NBA playoffs here. And they will actually face the winner of the matchup between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics which Brooklyn currently holds a two-to-one advantage with game four being tomorrow night. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, they tied up the series at two games apiece with the Denver Nuggets earlier today with a 115-95 to victory. Uh, Nikola Jokic, the lead scorer for the Denver Nuggets in the loss, 16 points, nine rebounds. Uh, CJ McCollum leading the way for the Portland Trail Blazers, 21 points, four rebounds, eight assists. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, they are they are putting the Washington Wizards on the brink of elimination here with a 132 to 103 victory uh, over Washington, with Joel Embiid 36 points, eight rebounds, and Russell Westbrook continuing his triple double streak with a 26-point, 12-rebound, and 10-assist night uh, for the Washington Wizards, though it was not enough uh, to put a dent in that Philadelphia, that Philadelphia armor, so to speak. And we do have a game currently live on ESPN right now, uh, game three between the Utah Jazz and Memphis Grizzlies with the Utah Jazz. Holding a 34 to 19 lead over the Memphis Grizzlies so far, Royce O'Neal, the lead scorer for Utah, nine points, three rebounds, and John ja Morant, so far leading the way for the Memphis Grizzlies, eight points to assists. Now, as far as yesterday's games go, we did have three games uh, on the on the docket here. The Atlanta Hawks take Game Three. To lead the series two games to one over the New York Knicks with a 105 to 94 victory. Derek Rose, the lead point getter off of the bench for the New York Knicks, 30 points, six rebounds, five assists. Trey Young led the way for the Atlanta Hawks with a 21 point effort as well as 14 assists for the double-double. The Boston Celtics, They finally got on the scoreboard here with a 125-119 to victory over the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden with 41 points, 7 rebounds, and 10 assists for the Nets, but it was not enough to best Jason Tatum with 50 points, 6 rebounds, and 7 assists for the Boston Celtics. This is Tatum's fourth game of at least 50 points within the last 40 days. The, the last 40-plus days. How impressive is that? And here here we had fans wanting to potentially offload Tatum and try and get what they can get for him. And the same thing goes with Jalen Brown, too. Imagine what type of series this, or how, uh, how close this series could potentially be if Jalen Brown wasn't out injured. I mean granted the first two games the first two games were blowouts and this game was relatively close. We could have had potential close matchups here in the first two games if Jalen Brown was was still healthy. Obviously game four, that's set to take place tomorrow night. Uh, the LA Clippers, they finally showed some life here in their series against the Dallas Mavericks with uh, Mavericks now leading the series two games to one thanks to a 118-108 to 108 victory for the LA Clippers. Kawhi Leonard with 36 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists, while Luka Doncic uh, led the way for the Mavericks with 44 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. Uh, tomorrow's action, uh, we have Game 4 between the Hawks and Knicks at 1 p.m. on ABC, followed by Game 4 of the Lakers and Suns. That's set to take place at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC, with the Lakers looking to go up 3-1 to on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, then, Following that game, we have game four between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics in what's sure to be in front of a packed TD Garden, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on TNT, as Brooklyn looks to go up three games to one potentially in that. And we have game four at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on TNT between the LA Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks as the Clippers look to even the series at two games apiece. So that looks to be uh, that looks to be quite the quite the lineup that we have on tap. Now, we talk about the Bucks having swept the Miami Heat earlier today. However, they may have to play or they're going to have to play, actually, without one of their top starters, uh, as Dante DiVincenzo has suffered a serious tendon injury in his left foot and will miss the remainder of the playoffs, according to shams Charania of the Athletic. Uh, he initially suffered the injury in the first half of their Game 3 victory over the Heat on Thursday night. A, it's a significant loss. For the Bucs as he started all 69 games he played this year, including the first three postseason contests, averaging around 10.4 point, points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and 1.1 steals per game, while making an average of two, of two three-pointers per game in 27.5 minutes per game during the regular season. Uh, Bryn Forbes, who started the second half in place of uh, DiVincenzo on Thursday, will see a significant uptick in playing time because of this, and he had a pretty big game today as well for the Milwaukee Bucks in place of DiVincenzo. So it looks like we're pro- it looks like Milwaukee may potentially. Uh, May potentially limit the damage that this is that this has caused them. With, but yeah, Bryn Forbes put up 22 points off of the bench here. Um, though Pat Knaatan did see uh, did see the uh, starting job now with Steven Chenzo out. Though so I wouldn't be shocked at all if they give it to Bryn Forbes after today's performance uh, with 22 points off of the bench for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Also, some other injury news. According to Dave McMenamin of ESPN, Anthony Davis hyperextended his left knee in the first half of uh, the Lakers' Game 2 victory over the Phoenix Suns Thursday night. Uh, Per ESPN, Davis hyperextended the knee on a chase-down block of Devin Booker in the second quarter, he was seen limping later in the game, but he did not ask out of the game as he ended up saying, it's the playoffs. It's rare that I'm going to come out of the game uh, after, the, after the game was over. Uh, he landed awkwardly and tried not to fall on Devin Booker. Um, he believed that he had hyperextended it a little bit. Uh, right now he's keeping it loose and, and wanting and he wanted to keep going throughout the game. Uh, he believes he didn't really have any problems uh with it the rest of the game. He did finish with thirty four points and eleven rebounds in game two, so I guess it didn't it didn't really look like that there were, that there was uh there was much of a problem uh his hyperextended knee. Uh, Shams Gerania of the Athletic has also reported that the Hornets, uh, the Charlotte Hornets are planning to pick up the team option on head coach James Borrego's contract for the 2021- 2022 season. Uh, of course, the Hornets were vying for home court advantage this season prior to extended absences for both Gordon Hayward and Lamello Ball. And they have upgraded player development under Borrego, so this of course uh, being the reason why they are picking up the team option on his contract. Uh, They also qualified for the play in tournament and Borrego has been instrumental in helping the team's young core progress this season. So that was enough to warrant giving him an extension or not giving him an extension, but at least picking uh, picking up his option for this upcoming season for next season. I should say Uh, in a interview earlier this week, Bob Myers sounded skeptical. Bob Myers, the president of the the golden state warriors basketball operations. Uh, He sounded skeptical that clay Thompson could return by opening night next season. Uh, Thompson, of course, earlier this month said he was targeting the, season opener next year, although Clay acknowledged that his debut could wind up being a week after or a month after as well. Uh, when asked about Thompson being ready for the opener, Myers said, I don't know if that will be realistic or not, and mentioned that it won't even be a full calendar year since Clay's Achilles tear. Uh, Myers had stated that the plan is to ease Thompson back into action instead of letting him go 100% right out the gate. Uh, he also, Bob Myers also told reporters on Monday that he's pretty confident that Golden State will be able to sign Steph Curry to an extension this summer. Uh, the 2021-2022 season is the final year remaining on Curry's current contract as he will earn $45.78 million next season and the maximum amount that they can offer him being an extension is $215 million over four years. That's a huge sum for a player entering his age 34 season, but considering he's still putting up MVP caliber numbers, I mean, that's – I would think he would probably be well worth the contract, but I can understand, you know, the uh, if there's any hesitancy at all of giving – a 34 turning 35 year old player that much money when usually around this time you kind of sort, you, you, you sort of see players start to start to go downhill a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, it won't be that noticeable early on, but the older you get, you know, unless you're like a, like a Michael Jordan or something uh which I, I guess you could kinda of say you could kinda of say that about Steph Curry, you know, even even at the age of thirty four he's still he's still shooting half court shots like they're nothing. So you know, maybe perhaps uh we won't see that much of a difference in his gameplay that would warrant uh potential criticism of this next uh, this next big contract that he might sign. but we'll see period is underway right now between the Islanders and Bruins currently tied up at two apiece. So we will see, uh, how that, how that goes for the rest of, uh, the rest of tonight's matchup. The shots are 30 to 12 in favor of the Boston Bruins heading into this final third period here in regulation. Uh, also, more NBA news. Jeremy Lin has said that he intends to keep playing basketball professionally, and he is preparing for next season while evaluating his options. Uh, he lit it up in the NBA's G League this past season, posting averages of 19.8 points per game, along with 6.4 assists and 3.2 rebounds per game, along with 2.2 triples. I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can average uh, triples. Uh, based off of uh, decimal points, but okay. Uh, As well as 0.9 steals, 0.4 blocks, and 3.7 turnovers per game, something he may want to try to limit there in terms of turnovers, on 50.5% shooting. But he never received a call-up from the NBA despite these numbers this season. And even though at this point it kind of seems like he's not going to get another opportunity to play in the league, which is kind of weird considering the fact that he's not that far removed from being a very valuable bench player to uh, the NBA champion Toronto Raptors back when Kawhi Leonard was with the team for for, for one season and effectively that was actually Jeremy Lynn's last season in the league i believe before he ended up uh playing in the G league kind of surprising that he ended up washing out like he did which he seemed to be a very valuable bench player so i don't i don't know why you know that it's it's not just him but there's also you know Isaiah Thomas who mm-hmm. revived his career in Boston and it seems like ever since he left Boston, you know he's he hasn't been the same. Well, he has been he hasn't been the same type of player, but he's still been he's still been a very solid player that can put up numbers. Uh, but I, I guess you know certain philosophies of of teams might must be changing or something to where you know people are looking at that our teams are looking at different. Options when it comes to what they're looking for in a player uh, I don't know hopefully Lynn can get can find his way back into the league because I still think he could be effective off of an n b a bench, maybe the Boston Celtics might want to look at him, considering how uh considering how how desperate they've been for scoring from from their bench this year, which has been improved, but I still feel Boston needs at least one more piece for the bench in order to in order to be at least an effective team, at least better than a 500 team. All right. Uh, there were also NBA awards that were handed out. Uh, two of them currently have been handed out as Julius Randle of the New York Knicks. He took home the most improved player award over Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter Jr. And from the looks of it, it looks like it wasn't even close in terms of uh voting as Julius Randle took home quite a bit, quite a quite a bit uh of an amount of of points from the votes. He not only showed immense statistical improvement this season, particularly from three-point range, uh, but his improved production also resulted in tangible wins for New York, with the Knicks finishing as the number four seed this season. And now they're back in the postseason for the first time since 2013, thanks in large part to Julius Randle. So that is a or he has been a key factor to their success so far. And actually, let me pull up his stats here real quick uh, just to show. uh, Because if I remember correctly, I believe he came into the league with the the L.A. Lakers, I believe. I believe it was the Lakers that originally drafted him. And, you know, everybody thought that he was going to be – You know he he was going to be this huge player for them, and it never really panned out until he ended up coming over to the Knicks. But let's take taking a look here at the uh, at his stats this year: seventy-one games for the for the Knicks, twenty-four point one points per game, ten point two rebounds per game, and six assists per game. Now. Normally, this would be most impro- worthy of most improved, but when you take a look at the numbers he put up last year, last year he had 19.5 points per game, 9.7 rebounds per game, 3.1 assists. So he had slightly less assists per game and slightly less points per game. I'm kind of thinking that maybe perhaps this should have gone to Jeremy Grant because Grant took a gigantic leap in production this year compared to compared to Julius Randle. I mean, Randle, he's been averaging at least the last two years around 20, 21 points per game. So, you know, it's... I don't know if you can really say, you know, that he's the most improved player, although maybe perhaps... Maybe perhaps you can kind of say it from three-point range. I mean, yeah, actually, you know what? Taking a look at his three-point percentage, uh, last year he had, he only shot 27.7% from three-point range. Uh, and the year before he shot 34.4%. This year he shot 41.1% from three-point range. So that is a pretty drastic improvement. For, for Randall I guess maybe you can kind of consider it you can kind of consider him uh you know the, the three-point improvement being the reason why Randall took home the uh the award instead of Jeremy Grant for the uh for the Pistons here uh Jordan Clarkson he was named the sixth man of the year um as it was announced on TNT by his own teammate Joe Inglace who ended up uh who was one of the other finalists for the award during an interview he uh Inglace ended up giving him presenting him the award uh becoming the first member of the Utah Jazz to ever win the uh the sixth man of the year. Uh, he beat out Joe Englace as well as Derek Rose of the New York Knicks. For the award, uh, he led all regular reserves in scoring with eighteen point three points per game, including two forty spots off the bench this season. Um, so yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a deserved win for Jordan Clarkson for the Utah Jazz, as he's definitely been one of their more valuable. Players off of the bench this year. It's a uh, it's a it's a far cry from his uh, from his days in L. A. That's for sure. By the way, before I continue here, a reminder for uh, for any fans of Survivor. Uh, we just did the. Top 10 males, top 10 females, and this past Thursday, we did the top 10 seasons of all time. Uh, Thursday, we will be doing the top 10 heroes, spanning from both men and women, uh, the top 10 heroes of all time. And we have a goal by the Boston Bruins here uh, to set up, to take a 3-2 to lead over the New York Islanders. But yeah, we did. We are now doing the top ten heroes of all time uh, this upcoming Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, and the very next night we will also uh, be very lucky to have from Survivor Co. Wrong Joe Del Campo. As he has quite a few bits of information to deliver to us, from what I've heard, from my understanding here, and yeah, it looks like uh, looks like a looks like a few bombs are probably going to get dropped. So, if you're a Survivor fan, that's definitely something you're going to want to tune into. You're going to want to tune in for. Uh, so. Once again, this this upcoming Thursday and this upcoming Friday, uh, each at 9 p.m. Eastern. And a reminder, you know, maybe maybe uh, you don't know where you can find us. You can find us at blogtalkradio.com slash AE. or you can find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts by searching for, Missy, uh, for searching Missieae. Uh, subscribe. You'll get access to not just uh, – not just the sports whispers weekly podcast, you'll get all of our big brother survivor and amazing race interviews. And also the upcoming big brother recaps that will be done by myself and our primary host, uh, Melissa Hunt Hillstrom, uh, who uh, obviously you've heard from on all of our previous shows, uh, that we have done this year. Uh, she'll, do, she, she'll do really good as the uh, as the primary host for the Big Brother uh, recaps this year. So uh, we do not have a a scheduled uh, a scheduled uh, day yet. We're thinking it might be Fridays, but we're not sure. Uh, so if you're a Big Brother fan, uh, be sure to stay tuned to uh missy AE. we will have an update for the uh the Big Brother recap pods when we uh, when we have the opportunity to provide that update for you guys um i do know we will be doing probably a cast assessment probably to start out uh uh before the season starts i believe there's only about like thirty some odd days left, I think, until the season starts. So it should be interesting. Uh, oh yeah, this is uh, this is something here. Um, Phil Mickelson last last week became the oldest winner of the PGA title with a victory over two-time champion Brooks Koepka uh, with a victory last week in the PGA Tour. Man, winning it at the age of 50, being the oldest major champion ever at 50 years, 11 months, supplanting Julius Boros, who was the Oldest winner uh, since 1968, when he won uh, when he won at 48 years old 48 years old and four months uh, when he claimed the 1968 PGA title. Uh, this is Mickelson's second PGA victory in tw- in 29 appearances, where he last won it in 2005. Uh, his sixth major title in 113 major starts and his 45th overall PGA Tour win in 644 career events. His first win since the 2019 AT&T Pebble Beach, uh, 46 starts ago. And he claimed the Watermaker trophy as a pre-tournament 300 to 1 underdog. And entering the final frame, he was thirteen to four when it comes to odds. Uh, and he also records his thirty-ninth overall top ten finish in a major, his first since his solo second uh, at the twenty sixteen Open seventeen uh, at the twenty sixteen Open seventeen major starts ago. Uh, after kicking off with a seventy sixty nine seventy. He led one over over Kepka, and after going out in an even par 36 with three birdies and three bogeys, he led by two at the break. Uh, He came home in one over 37 with two birdies and three bogeys, wrapping the historic win with a routine two-putt par at the 72nd hole from 16-1 after a brilliant approach from the rough 176 yards away For the week He tallied 22 birdies Against 14 bogeys and a double And ranked number one In total birdies and strokes gained As well as teed to green With 12.903 uh, His last Sunday Featured five birdies Versus six bogeys On seven fairways Seven out of 14 fairways and 11 greens in regulation, gaining .848 strokes tee to green and losing 1.181 on the green with 30 total putts. But he did not need any but, any putts on the par-3 fifth, where he holed out from a green side sandy area from 54 uh, for birdie 2, a shot that steadied a shaky beginning and a shot that will be replayed for decades to come. And I got to tell you that last shot that set up the, that set up the, uh, the putt to win it. Magnifique. It was brilliant. Probably one, probably one of his best shots uh, that he's done in quite a while. Speaking of, uh, speaking of Phil Mickelson, Uh, He is actually set to team up uh, with Tom Brady once again for the match as uh, they will team up to face off against Aaron Rodgers uh, and Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, This will be on July 6th on TNT. Uh looks like it will be at the reserve at Moonlight Basin in Big Sky, Montana. Uh, this golf round will be at 5 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Uh, Feeding America, it says here, will be one of the featured charities during this matchup. It will be the the fourth rendition of the match and the third to be a charity event involving both golfers and other athletes. The first edition was of course a head-to-head matchup between Mickelson and Tiger Woods. The second was uh one of the few sports events that took place last spring. It raised $20 million for COVID relief as uh Woods and Peyton Manning defeated uh Mickelson and Tom Brady by one hole. Then of course uh Last November, Mickelson and Charles Barkley ended up winning over Steph Curry and Peyton Manning in the match three to raise money for historically colleges and universities. And in preparation for the match four, Mickelson and Brady have already started the trash talk against their younger opponents uh, out there on Twitter. So uh, it'll be interesting to see you know, just just exactly. Hopefully, uh, maybe Brady will have a better showing in the match four compared to compared to what we saw out of him in the match two. So this should be uh, this should be very interesting to watch here. Uh, let's see. Going into some wrestling talk for a little bit, uh, there was an interview with Bad Bunny. That, uh, took place on HBO's The Shop Uninterrupted, where he talked about his WWE experience. Now, Bad Bunny, of course, uh, worked a match at WrestleMania 37, uh, this past, uh, actually last month, I should say, not just this past April, last month, technically. Uh, Bunny said he gained a new level of respect for wrestling while saying it is 100% real, um, I mean, it's you know, it's it's not you know, it's it's not really much of a shock that Bad Bunny, you know, is one of the he's a he's a diehard wrestling fan. Apparently, he has been for years ever since he was a kid, and uh, you know, usually, as we know with with celebrities, usually there are some celebrities who don't take it seriously, but. From all indications, sounds like Bad Bunny took it ser- serious enough to where he actually earned the respect of quite a few wrestlers, uh, including two legends. Uh, he earned the respect of The Undertaker. He earned the respect of Triple H. Um, Undertaker said on Twitter, Well said at San Benito, you did us all proud at WrestleMania. Hashtag dead man approved. Uh, apparently he was working, um, he was working with uh, Norman Smiley, Adam Pierce, and Drew Gulak to prepare. For this matchup at the uh, i assume it was at the performance center where where uh you know he uh he did his preparations and alistair black actually commented on it and said that him and bo dallas were there for his first day uh bad bunny came prepared came to observe listen and partake not once did he give up not once did he complain uh, dude is a hard worker in every aspect of his life. Completely understand why as an artist he is so successful. No cutting corners anywhere. Um, and he also said every week he showed up when we were also there. Also commented on this and saying, uh, at San Benito, which is Bad Bunny's uh, Twitter Twitter tag, uh, dedicated the time, effort, and passion necessary for a world tour into his performance at WrestleMania. And he's not only a lifelong fan of our business, but a member of our WWE family who earned all of our respect along the way. And I got to say, you know, it, it really showed with his matchup, uh, you know, his uh, team up with, um, with Damian Priest to face The Miz and John Morrison, for a celebrity who's wrestling who, who doesn't really have an athletic background, you know, they they don't come from another sport and you know, they're wrestling their first match ever especially at the biggest event in wrestling history at WrestleMania for Bad Bunny to put in the effort like he did and really impress uh, wrestling legends like Triple H and The Undertaker. I mean, it's it's one thing when you when you impress a wrestling legend, but when you impress maybe the biggest legend of them all, in The Undertaker, that really says something about about the type of performance that you that that you put in, not just in preparation, but what you put in on the actual show. And it's it's very very hard to gain the respect of the Undertaker. Uh, if you've listened to any of in, any of the interviews that the Undertaker has given over the years, uh, you know it's very. He, he's he's been pretty much up until his retirement. Uh, he had been the locker room leader for the WWE for many years, and just the fact that. The fact that he was impressed by Bad Bunny for for it being his first WrestleMania, or not just his first WrestleMania, but being his first actual match in a wrestling ring, and that tells you just exactly how focused Bad Bunny was in trying to put together, you know, and how serious he was taking everything. Uh, The fact that you're able to impress a legend like The Undertaker uh, that quickly. Because, you know, a lot of people, when they see a celebrity getting involved, everybody thinks, you know, oh, this is just Vince's way of, uh, you know, trying to basically get WWE into the spotlight by... Obviously, you know when Bad Bunny was a twenty four seven champion, they had him uh, wearing it on Saturday, wearing the belt on Saturday Night Live. They had Bad Bunny uh, bringing the belt, I believe, to the Grammys. I, b- I believe uh, uh, he he wore the belt to you know he wore the belt basically outside of the w outside of his WWE appearances and stuff like that. And obviously, you know that gets. Uh, that gets outside eyes being put on the WWE, you know, uh, basically spreading, um, you know, basically spreading uh, awareness, essentially, for the WWE, trying to get more fans uh, involved with the current product. So that usually when they bring a celebrity in, A lot of people think that that's basically Vince just trying to get more eyes on the company. But for Bad Bunny to come in and do what he did, I mean, that just takes it to a whole new level. And we have a hat trick for David Pasternak here. As the Bruins, with four minutes, four minutes, ten seconds to go against the Islanders, they now lead... By two goals, thanks to a hat trick by David Pasternak, and Lou, oh, Lou actually just got disconnected, uh, so he is hopefully he is going to call back in here. Um, wow, you know I was I was expecting a I was expecting a close matchup, but uh, Lou, you are now officially back on the line here. Uh, Thanks, Steve. Right as David Pasternak scores a hat trick on Ilya Sorokin, I was—I know we were Aww. expecting a close matchup here, but I don't think we were expecting the Bruins to put up four goals on the Islanders, especially one Not of them me. being a hat trick, and it's—and it's on the same side, on the right side, the uh, the blocker side for Sorokin on each and every one of these goals that Pasternak has done. Um, I think the Islanders may have a problem.
1: Just like Houston.
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry, bad joke, bad joke. I I think it's possible that at some point this season, at some point this series, we may obviously Sorokin's probably going to get the start in game two. Uh, yes. I think at some point this series, if Boston is still continuing to crack Sorokin, we may see the Islanders go to Varlamov at some point this series. And the hats are still coming down. Must have been some hat trick. Uh, they are, yeah. They are still, co- they are still coming down from the from the uh, from the crowd here. It's nuts, you know. But, like I like I, I mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier how, you know, we we would expect a huge crowd for it being yeah. the first game of for it being the first game where uh you know there's no longer those COVID-19 restrictions and correct that it would be it would be near full capacity but my god uh this crowd is definitely has definitely been rowdy and you know you know what this is this is going to bring up a uh, a point that I wanted to uh I had forgotten for some reason but um I wanted to bring up earlier Pierre Maguire of NBC Sports said one of the Mm. big things that New York is gonna have to do in order to silence the crowd is to either get a big hit or a big shot on goal. Oh yeah. Now, here's what doesn't make sense. A big hit is gonna get the fans going. And a big shot on goal a big shot on goal could potentially lead to a big save which would then get the fans going yeah. as we saw we saw from these little saves that were being made the fans immediately started chanting Tuca like they usually do whenever he makes a big yeah. save it, it, you know it, sometimes it seemed even though it's kind of funny that that he used to be Uh, A coach, I believe, at one point, too, Pierre Maguire, uh, for one season was a a former coach. I don't know if it was in the NHL or or in the minor leagues, but at at one point, apparently, he was a hockey coach. But with the way he is, sometimes the way he comments, I almost think he's never even watched a game.
1: I wonder that myself.
0: I I am just thanking God right now that that NBC Sports no longer has the uh, the rights to the NHL after this season, and that
1: yeah,
0: uh, will be, will be going to ESPN and TNT, for uh. Ooh, that's you know that's actually going to be very interesting if because uh, there's been a rumor going around that for ESPN. They're gonna get Stephen A. Smith commenting on hockey, and for TNT they're gonna get Charles Barkley commenting on oh, hockey. Oh no! Now I will say this: Barkley is actually a huge hockey fanatic. Stephen True. A. Smith, though Stephen A. Smith, though, no. doesn't even know the first thing about hockey, if I recall correctly. No, he doesn't. But Barkley, Barkley is actually more into hockey than people than people believe so yes you know maybe perhaps that won't be that won't be as much of a train wreck as people might think uh right
1: i'm just wondering how they're all depending
0: on their schedules though well i guess it'll all depend you know uh if if Barkley gets involved in in uh, hockey, well, I mean now, the scheduling because maybe... you know,
1: ABC will have the game as well, and they have the um, you know NHL, and they also have the NBA. So how are they going to work that out?
0: Well, you know, for ESPN, they can always if it's an NBA game or whether it's NBA or NHL, you know, they can they always have ESPN plus. I don't. Oh wait, I can get it off my computer. Oh yeah. Well what, what I'm saying though is that, you know, they can always switch those games over to ESPN plus. Depending right. on depending on what they decide would uh would bring in more uh would bring in more ratings. And we hey, also have ESPN another too. Estate. Yeah. And we also have another update here, too. Uh, thanks to a goal by TJ Brody of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Canadiens and Maple Leafs are in overtime right now uh, oh, with about about 8 minutes, 12 seconds left to go, I think, in overtime right now. It's, it's tied up at two apiece. Uh, when it comes to the Islanders and Bruins, ain't joke. the Bruins – the Bruins got back uh, got back on top with a goal by Charlie McAvoy, uh, with an assist to David Krejci, and obviously just now David Pasternak with a uh, with an unassisted uh, an unassisted goal here for the hat trick, and the Islanders have also pulled their goaltender for probably the re- well actually wait a minute who is on the oh. Yeah, no. Sorokin's going to be back in cuz the Bruins are now going on the power play with about 3:17 to go here. Uh I talked about this Lou when you uh when you had gone off uh when you had gone off the air. Um what are your thoughts on Julius Randle taking home the Sixth Man of the Year or not Sixth Man, uh Most Improved Player of the Year Most award? I've- Oh,
1: deservedly so. I mean, he has really pro- he has propelled this team to where we've gotten um, this year. Also, Obi Wan as well. I mean, if it wasn't for those two players, I mean, the Knicks. I don't think we even make the playoffs this year. So uh, I got to give Randall a lot of credit. He deserved it.
0: Yeah, and you know, I was kind of I, I was kind of looking over the stats, and I'm like, what is you know, how what can you Ooh. consider him to be most improved, considering the fact that. Over the past two seasons, he's averaged around 20 to 21 points per game. So, you know, it's not like – although this year he averaged about 24 points per game. So I guess maybe maybe that combined with also the fact that uh, he significantly improved his three-point shooting with uh, mm-hmm. averaging about, I think, 44% from the three-point line uh, yes. this year. So maybe perhaps that has something to do with it. But um, I honestly – I was kind of surprised that Jeremy Grant didn't take it because I thought considering how Grant started off his – considering how Grant started off his career uh, performing on a subpar level and how he basically revived his career this year with uh, being a a hefty contributor – for the Detroit Pistons. I kind of thought that uh, he would take home the most improved player. But, I mean, Julius Randle, you can kind of understand it considering the fact that, okay, he improved in points, assists, as well as uh, three-point shooting. You know, it kind of makes sense Yes, why they gave it to him at this point. Now uh, the Sixth Man of the Year award, Derek Rose was up for the uh, was up for the award for the Pistons or not, not the Pistons the Knicks. However, the award went to Jordan Clarkson, and it kind of makes sense considering Clarkson's uh, considering the fact that Clarkson has actually put up a couple of forty point games off of the bench yeah. this year for the Utah Jazz. So it kinda it kinda makes sense why they gave it to uh Clarkson over over Derrick Rose. Even though Derek Rose I mean hell, this last game yeah. uh he put up thirty points off the bench for uh for the uh the New York Knicks. So Habs win it. Habs won it? Yep. All right, so we have we have a game seven then. This, okay, yeah. oh my God, I swear! If Toronto gets eliminated, it, it, it looks like it was uh it was a goal by Jesperi Kaniemi. Co- 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 yes, hopefully I'm saying that right. Um Wow, we'll see what I go for. Wow, we'll wow. Right. Uh, Maple Leafs! I swear to God, if they blow, Jesus, if they blow this again, the, how many? How many years will this be being a first-round exit?
1: I've lost count, to be honest.
0: And there's an empty-net goal for Taylor Hall, five to two. That should oh, do Oh wow!
1: It. Good morning, good afternoon, good night.
0: Yep, looks like that will do it. And New York is. Uh, Apparently getting a little feisty, I guess, uh the Bruins are supposedly running up yep. the score here, but isn't that what the playoffs is supposed to be about? Yes. J G Pajot apparently uh apparently shoving at Taylor Hall following the goal. Uh Yeah. I am I mean I I, I I get that New York is kind of frustrated here, but uh, at least at least for game one, the Bruins have proven that they're the better team yes, but it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this series goes here though um, mm-hmm. and also speaking of Taylor Hall, it has been reported that Taylor Hall is looking. To sign an extension with the Boston Bruins as he wants mm-hmm. uh, reportedly wants a long term deal that's more than one or two years, so it sounds like it sounds like he must have really bought into the Boston way of uh of that locker room in the short time that he's been with the Bruins so far, uh, yeah. for him to want for him to want to uh, want to stay with Boston for uh, a long duration here, and it looks like I mean he you know he's 29 years old, um, he's seeking a multi-year deal worth, uh, more than two years, considering what he put up. He scored 14 points in 16 games, eight goals, six assists. He also had two goals, one assist uh, against the Capitals during that, during uh, uh, the five game series that they just finished. And plus with a goal tonight uh, makes it, makes it three goals, one assist for the playoffs this year so far. You know, the investment is looking very good so far for the Bruins Uh Bringing in the likes of Taylor Hall, as well as Curtis Lazar, actually uh, for you know Anders Bjork and a second round pick. It's really looking. It it, it is really looking likely at this point that Hall is probably going to sign long term with Boston. Although Boston does. He's only going to stay with the Devils.
1: He's only going to stay
0: with the Devils. Yeah, you know maybe things. maybe things would actually would actually have changed because keep in mind you know if he had stayed with the devils uh they have jack hughes you know a uh a number one a number one pick and of course taylor hall is a former number one pick hall could have actually been uh a very good mentor for uh for him no question about you know and and instead you know, now the Devils are basically in a shithole, I guess. I guess, yeah, a shithole, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, I was going to say, you know, purgatory maybe for uh, for the NHL to where they're not really improving, oh, yeah. but they're not really, you know, they're not really improving, but yet they're also not going down, If if that makes any sense. Um that's purgatory. You know, they're not exactly they're not exactly as bad as Buffalo, but also at the same time they're not really going anywhere, basically. Nobody's worse than Buffalo man. No, 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 no. There's
1: yes. yeah,
0: there's no there's nobody nobody worse than Buffalo at this point. That's a travesty um, right there. Yeah. And Yeah. Uh, that brings up another thing. They were called Dominic Hasek. Yeah, they haven't, you know, they haven't been the same ever since Hasek left. I mean, they were, they did have a high scoring offense at one point back when, uh, you know, back when they had, um, Lindy Ruff as their head coach. Yes. Back, uh, back when they had the, uh, the bright yellow logo and it, you know, the logo obviously wasn't oh, yeah. the as, it, as it is now. Uh, but back when they had that revamped logo and everything, you know, they had yes, yes. a high scoring offense. Uh, I think if, I think if anything, maybe it was the defense that was, or not the defense, the goaltending, that was really their problem because they had Jonas Enroth back then and um, you know it just seems like it seems like buffalo it, it, it really falls upon the pagula family if anything the fact that they have refused to basically do anything to improve the club all that money again home what a shame i mean hell if i'm if i'm the pagula family you're only giving up taylor you're giving up taylor hall and Curtis Lazar for a second round pick and Anders Bjork which I will say you know the acquisition of Bjork was good for Buffalo I think given a change of scenery Bjork will actually be able to do something in Buffalo um but like I mean, come on Taylor well maybe he may finally be able to develop you know he may be able to develop wow. into an actual serviceable player instead of you know instead of uh, being up in the press box all Uh a whole bunch you know Bjork I would consider Bjork as as a player that's too good to play in the AHL but not good not good enough to consistently stay on uh, in an NHL lineup Mm. But a lot of that was because he was never really given any opportunities by Bruce Cassidy to stay in Boston's lineup on a regular basis. Now, obviously, sure. with Buffalo, you know, with Buffalo, there's a much lower level of talent with Buffalo. So okay. he's going to have a lot better of an opportunity to finally develop with buffalo as opposed to you know staying in purgatory basically in boston purgatory is located okay in boston now oh boy that's not good well let me just basically oh, not you know, literally okay. Staying, okay i thought you were literally you know like basically like basically staying in the press box essentially okay well oh, that's purgatory. that's yeah. Because that's really what was happening in Boston. You know, he never really had – every single time he had the opportunity to crack Boston's lineup,
2: every –
0: it it always seemed like he would get on Bruce Cassidy's shit list, even though he (laughs) would do something good in a game. That shit. I was the in Cleveland. Oh, oh. Well, it was for years, but – you know with the browns with the browns now actually uh now actually good and although I watched, i guess maybe I guess maybe you could say the Indians are kind of uh bringing the uh the shit back to Cleveland um the mistake of the lake yeah you know it's i I guess you can kind of I guess you can you can kind of say that you know the you can't you can't really say now that that purgatory is Cleveland anymore, especially with with the Browns it's seemingly uh, seemingly breaking that curse.
1: Ah, see, it's just so just to fun making fun of them. Oh. no now I have to give them respect because actually the Browns were my surprise pick last year, so. You know, and obviously it
0: paid off. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think if I recall correctly, I don't think they really lost anything from last year's roster this year. So, no. I would assume that they're probably they're probably going to come into this season with pretty much close to the same roster, and with Odell Beckham Jr. coming back at full health, you know, who knows. Mm who knows how big that offense could potentially become if he can get back to playing like he did when he was with the Giants. Cause I mean, you could say he has been underwhelming with, uh, with the Browns so far, but I mean, if he ever, if he ever gets back to uh if he ever gets back to where he was with uh with New York, I mean that could that could be a pretty uh that could be a pretty dangerous um, Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is this is kind of interesting actually. Uh switching back to hockey here for a second, Jake Muzzin. Apparently, maybe out for Toronto for Game Seven. Oh boy, just when you thought because he better than to lose to Montreal right like Now that's...
1: okay? Because
0: cause he left he left Game Six tonight with an injury.
1: That makes sense.
0: It's entirely po- as a matter of fact. I don't I don't think he even played any of the overtime. So uh. it's very possible. Possible that he may uh, that he may be out for Game Seven. And it's not a game you want to be out for. And knowing Toronto's history with Game Sevens, yep. yeah, um, <laughs> it's not looking Forget. good for Toronto. Yeah, it's not the looking main good one? for Toronto. What? Nineteen sixty-four,
1: sixty-three.
0: It's been a long time. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll put it that way. It's been a long time. Yeah, I don't think it was sure. born when
1: the uh, when they last
0: won. Yeah. Um. You good. know, go, going to going going back to the NFL here. Uh. Obviously, the big story is where is Julio Jones going to fall. Yep. Uh, so far, obviously the rumored teams have been the Patriots, the Titans, uh, the Raiders have been, uh, have been put into the mix, as well as the 49ers, uh, the Chargers, and the Ravens. There, is, there, there was a report earlier this week that the Titans are considered long shots. To yeah. land uh, to land Jones, even though Jones had been working out with Derek Henry uh, over the past couple of weeks, which I find I find kind of interesting here. I find I find it kind of interesting because Tennessee would kind of make sense for Julio. You know, they just lost uh, Corey Davis. To New York, you know they need somebody to mm. pair up with uh, with AJ Brown, and yes. I mean, quite frankly, you know it, it's T- Tannehill. Honestly, Tannehill is probably a better quarterback at this point than Matt Ryan. So, yes, you know it would make it would make sense for uh, for Julio to want to join Tennessee considering the fact that they, uh, even though they lost the AFC uh, title game uh, to Kansas City two years ago, you know, they're still in the thick of things when it comes to the playoff picture, so it would definitely be a destination place for uh, Julio. But one of the teams that just will not go away whatsoever... In the pursuit of Julio Jones is the New England Patriots, yeah, and of course. I find this kind of interesting because Julio Jones—where did he play college? In Alabama. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, what do they think he's something with Tom Brady or something?
0: Oh, Mac Jones.
1: Well, you were just mentioning it because you know, I mean, the Patriots have not been the same since Brady left.
0: Yeah, no, no, they haven't. They obviously they haven't been the same since Brady left. Um, I mean, it's let's face it, it's obvious there's never going to be another Tom Brady uh, in the NFL. But I mean, I think if anything, the Patriots they just want somebody who can actually throw the ball and get it yeah. to receivers. You know, which so far from what we've been seeing in OTAs so far this uh, at the start of this uh, training camp here, Mac Jones apparently is ahead of where everybody else has him right now. Like it's very possible that Mac Jones may actually beat out Cam Newton for the starting job. Oh dear. You know, everybody believes that the only reason why uh, these free agents came to New England was to play was to play with Cam Newton. However, Jones has actually gotten quite a bit of praise from his receivers that he's been working with, They're like Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. Um, Uh, what's it called, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, you know, he has received a lot of praise so far from from the receivers that he's been working with. Yeah. So, and the fact that they also, uh, one of the things that was reported uh, by one of the, uh, one of the reporters that was at OTAs yesterday was, they did they did these select drills like uh first was to identify the mike linebacker on defense which obviously Cam Newton was able to do Mac Jones was able to do but you know that's a very simple thing to be able to do as yeah. a quarterback is to identify the mike out on out on defense however they said one of the things yeah. they said that was a huge eye-opener was the fact that Jones, during the middle of one of the plays that they were going to run, actually adjusted on the fly to where, they, uh, to where they, they switched up the play immediately and was able to find a wide-open uh, Nelson Aguilar for a big game. Or what would be a big game, you know, in regular in a regular game. Uh-oh. Let me put it this way: uh, Mac Jones has been opening up a lot of eyes so far in Patriots training camp, and yes, uh, a lot of people are saying that his time on the open uh, his time as starting quarterback could be coming very, very soon for the Patriots. And actually, one little uh, piece that is actually gaining some traction right now is that the Patriots may look at the start of the season as a way to to make Cam into a scapegoat to where, okay, if Cam ends up winning the quarterback job slightly over Mac Jones, they'll probably do it where, assuming Brady absolutely destroys them in week four, that they'll be able to put the blame on Newton and then start Mac Jones week five, yes. and that would basically be the end of cam Newton in New England basically oh, boy. uh they even did this uh, this drill where they put a uh they put a trash bin or or some some sort of bin on yeah. one of the corners on one of the corners of the end zone and they have to either get the ball into the they have to throw the ball into the bin from like I think the twenty yard line or they have to or they have to at least hit the bin whether it's yeah. the inside or outside. Cam Newton apparently never even came close to hitting the target. Mac Jones was always uh, either hitting the target or around the target on all of his throws. I mean, right. Just, just from what we've seen, from what we've uh, seen being reported so far, it seems like the Patriots made the right decision in drafting Mac Jones at 15th overall. And if they're able to, to provide him – now, here's the thing. If they acquire Julio Jones, it's going to be an investment for not just this season. It's going to be an investment for long-term, you know? Like, right. uh He will be a receiver for – assuming Mac Jones takes over, uh, for Mac Jones to be able to utilize, which we saw what he was able to do uh, with talent at Alabama, granted it was college talent, but yes. yeah, you know we saw what he was able to do with more talented players. If you have somebody like Julio Jones on your roster and you're able to get him the ball, mm-hmm. he can actually put up high numbers. So, oh yeah, I think it's entirely possible that you know that may be something that Julio is potentially looking at when trying to get a uh when trying to get a trade done.
2: You know, yes. he
0: said he wants to go to a winner. Obviously the yes. Patriots, even though even though yeah, they made all these moves this uh this off season with all the free agent signings that not, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a winner this year but no it doesn't they look to be in a much better spot compared to where they were last year i mean just looking at the list of teams you know the only teams that have enough salary cap space to absorb uh Julio's guaranteed 15.3 million dollar salary without moving money around are the Jaguars who aren't even on the rumored list. Uh the Jets no. who also aren't on the Jets also aren't on the list. Neither are the Broncos or the Bengals or the Lions or the Browns. That basically leaves the Chargers, the Niners, and the Patriots. And it's entirely possible too that maybe the Patriots include somebody like Sony Michelle, who seemingly seems to be on the outs uh, when it comes to the running back situation. I mean, hell, that's why they drafted uh, Rondre Stevenson out of uh, out of Oklahoma this year with the uh, fourth with the fourth round pick. It's very possible that maybe they they might either move Michelle or flat-out cut Michelle during training camp. Mm. Um, there's also the question of what are they going to do with uh, Stefan Gilmore because it's fairly obvious Gilmore is not going to play for $7 million that's on his restructured deal. Right. But, um, and there's also that rumor going around that the Patriots are interested in bringing in Richard Sherman. So Sherman could potentially yeah. take the spot of, of uh of Stefan Gilmore. It's possible that Gilmore could potentially be involved in a, in a deal involving Julio Jones. Yeah. You know, there's a whole bunch of uh, there's a whole bunch of possibilities. Now, this is actually interesting here is Julio Jones apparently he requested the trade months ago, and the Falcons just refused to trade him at the trade deadline, apparently
1: yeah uh, but he requested
0: he requested a trade during the season um actually no it says here he requested a trade shortly after uh this past season is what it what it says here uh but it it must have been after uh atlanta got eliminated basically from playoff contention right uh but it says here that all signs currently point that he's probably gonna that he's probably out of atlanta as a matter of fact he uh, he appeared on undisputed uh with Shannon Sharp and uh what's what's that shit stain's name uh Skip Bayless oh and, the
1: shit
0: stain or I shouldn't say he appeared but uh Shannon Sharp called him without him even knowing that he was on air and Sharp actually asked him uh if he wanted to be traded and Julio Jones said, and I quote, I'm out of there when it comes to, you know, either staying in Atlanta or going. Uh, And he was asked if he wanted to land in Dallas this season. And, and, and he basically said, I just want to go somewhere where I can win. So it's the, this is by far the strongest indication that Jones has probably done as a member of the Atlanta Falcons. And what's really telling too, is that their new general manager, Terry Fontenot, he has made no effort whatsoever to shoot down any potential chatter about a potential trade. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's also been reported that he reportedly wants to play with Cam Newton in New England. So, you know, that's adding on even further to the speculation of him going to New England, potentially. And according to Diana Russini of ESPN, there's a sense around the league that Julio could be, that Julio could be traded as early as this upcoming week. Uh, the Falcons have discussed several trade offers, including an offer for a future first-round pick from an undisclosed team um, it does say that the teams to to bet on remain as the Patriots the Colts the Raiders and the 49ers are the four teams that you basically want to look at for his yeah. next uh, for his next team essentially out of those four teams Lou who do you think has the has the best shot of potentially landing? Uh, Julio, let's say that mm. let's say that that the first rounder came from one of those four teams. Who do you think would be aggressive enough to offer a first <sighs> rounder for Julio? I'm
1: trying to figure that out myself. To be honest, would we'll be you know
0: smart to take him.
1: Wait, uh, read read the list back if you can.
0: Uh, the Patriots, the Colts. Mm-hmm the Raiders and
1: the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I'm a quarterback's favorite, but you know, I think I'll take the 49ers because they can use because they can use someone
0: like that. And also it would kind of, you know, the Niners, they're, they are kind of in the same situation as the Patriots when it comes to the quarterback position. I mean, right. they do have Jimmy Garoppolo. They do have Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. but he is off, you know, he's, he is injury prone and they did yeah, just—they right. uh, did just draft uh, Trey Lance this past uh, this past draft with the basically they're doing the whole Patrick Mahomes uh, scenario here, yeah. where Alex Smith or Jimmy Garoppolo starts this year and plays this year, and then in year number two, that's when Trey Lance then takes over so Julio Jones would technically still be on the team uh in that second year while also at the same time you know giving uh giving Jimmy Garoppolo another weapon to to work with to potentially take the team back to the Super Bowl if he can stay healthy yeah so it is. It is kind yes, of interesting. Yeah, yes. to, it is kind of interesting to see what they are gonna, what's gonna, you know, what team is gonna be able to acquire him because, uh, all indications are, that at this point he will go for at least a second round pick. Yes. As Atlanta is basically just trying to offload his guaranteed money. However, he did miss most of this past season with hamstring issues, so I would assume that would probably be uh a sticking point in any of these negotiations that are made. Now, we did have a player uh officially call it call it a career here, uh as Adam Vinatieri. The four-time Super Bowl winner with the Patriots sure. and the Indianapolis Colts has called it a career after 25 years in the NFL. Uh, he we made the announcement. Yeah, honestly, I'm surprised he even I'm surprised he even lasted as long as he did. You know, a lot of people thought that he was done a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah. But some people just don't want any of the word quit.
0: Yeah, no. No, they do not at all. Uh, but he is he is retiring after 25 years in the NFL. That's all right. Um, and he did spend this past year uh, as a free agent. You know, he... And it looked like he was going to hang up his cleats after after 2019, where he had a rough year uh, in Indianapolis. He thought a team was going to come calling in 2020. However, nobody did. So uh, he is officially calling it a career. Uh, He is considered to be a lock to be the fifth kicker enshrined in Canton, Uh, joining the likes of Martin Anderson, George Blanda, Lou Groza, and Jan St- uh, Stenerud, um, and out of those players, only Anderson and Stenerud were pure kickers. Yeah, well, Blanton was pretty old too, wasn't he? When
1: he retired, I believe so. Yeah, I think he was around the same age,
0: same age as um, at him. I don't know. I don't know exactly, but it's, it's possible, but right, it, sir, I think when was 48. You know, it's, I, I, I honestly, I am very surprised that Vinatieri lasted as long as he did though, because, yeah. you know, usually you don't see, you don't see not just kickers, but players for that, uh, for that, for that fact, you know, last, uh, into the well into their forties, going on going on fifty almost. Um, but you know, I mean, you take a look at you take a look at his his resume: a four time Super Bowl champion, three time Pro Bowler, a three time first team All Pro. Uh, you know, he's part of the All Decade Team of the two thousands. He's part of the hundredth anniversary All Time Team and plus all the records that he has for kicking. Yes. I mean there's there, there's just a lot of uh and he did have a couple of patriots records before they were broken by uh Stephen Gaskowski. Right. But he finishes his career uh just shy of 600 field goals at 599. Wow. Um he has the longest or or the long, his longest field goal he kicked was 57 yards uh career field goal percentage was 83.8% uh a lot of that a lot of that was ruined though thanks to his final year um and he has let's see does he have yeah he he, he now holds the record still for most career points scored with 2,673. As a matter of fact, he still holds the NFL records for not just that, but also most career field goals made and most career field goals attempted, uh, with 599 made out of 715 attempts. Uh, He holds the record for most consecutive field goals made with 44, as well as most combined regular season and postseason games played with three hundred and ninety seven games. I mean if that's if that's not Hall of Fame worthy for a kicker, I don't know oh, It's Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, it's first ballot Hall of Fame. Yes which means he will be eligible. Technically, he's eligible in 2024 because he did not play this past year. Right. I believe. Even though technically he wasn't retired because he didn't put in his uh, papers. But I assume because you have to be out of the league for five years, I assume that this past year technically counts as one of those years. Good. Um, let's see And actually prior to 2019 He hadn't missed a game Since 2013 Where he missed he ended up missing Only or actually no never mind I'm wrong uh, he missed a game <laughs> In 2017 uh, For some reason I don't know Why but you know, it's it's very odd to see him, even at the age of, let's see, in 2018, he would have been 46. Even at the age of 46, he still played all 16 games. Now, his best regular season game for field goal percentage came in 2014, where he averaged, he completed 96% of his field goal attempts. which I don't know actually what the record is for a single season for uh
1: Well, whatever is the
0: But I would assume it's it's got to be pretty high up there if it, if it's better than 96%. Yes. yes. Let's see on to our next thing here uh According to a report, the twenty twenty two salary cap will be no higher than two hundred and eight point two million. Uh is the, the final million. number. Hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean it is a big step up from this year's COVID deflated a hundred and eighty two and a half million. Right. So they're they're getting basically a twenty six million increase. Um Money. with this with this incoming uh this incoming salary cap year, uh, it does say though it will. This will be the highest in NFL history uh, by about ten million. Considering 2019 had 198.2, so the salary cap uh, this year could potentially be as high as 208.2 mil. They don't know what the final. Uh, what the final number is yet. Also, they announced that there will be a different cut-down process for 2021 as there are three different dates this year with teams required to trim down to 85 players by August 17th, 80 players by August 24th, Mm -hmm. and 53 by August 31st uh the final cutdown day is on a tuesday instead of the traditional saturday right and this is because this is because it's a byproduct of the preseason being reduced to just 3 games so there's fewer games and less time for undrafted free agents and late round picks to make some noise on the field yeah Now, here's something I found interesting here. Um, Diana Rossini also has reported that Tim Tebow could potentially be used in a Taysom Hill role this season. As there there are people in the Jaguars' camp right now who strongly believe the reason why Urban Meyer brought Tim Tebow in is not to play tight end, but to actually use him in that utility role the Taysom Hill role that we see Sean Payton uh, using in New Orleans. And she ends up saying, in terms of comparing the two, we always talk about on this show how much much Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. It's been very obvious over the years that same kind of love is what Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer have between each other. It could be a very similar, similar situation, but in terms of football, this is something we could be seeing. And it kind of makes sense, especially with if you have, uh, you know, if you have Trevor Lawrence starting at quarterback I mean, they could bring in Tim Tebow for opportunities. Like maybe maybe uh, they would do a couple of uh, wildcat plays, for example, with Tebow. Right. You know, you could have him uh, doing a whole bunch of run plays from the quarterback position in order to sort of protect Lawrence at the same time, too, because of the fact that you know, Lawrence is coming off of an injury. Um, you know, they're obviously players hit a lot harder at the NFL level. So they probably want to ease Lawrence in and sort of reduce the amount of times he has to run. And we could kind of see them maybe bring in uh you know may, maybe bring in Tebow to do to to uh enter in the, those type of uh scenarios
1: i think it's a mistake you think so i mean he hasn't played in seven years he wasn't really that great you know he, he's lost his stuff i think it's a big mistake you know if win t and trying to make a 10-day comeback
0: oh i agree I definitely think uh you know this is more along the lines of you know it, it's it's weird because uh Ted Johnson who was a former linebacker for the uh for the Patriots uh he talked about this on one of the uh one of the radio shows in in uh in Boston and the one thing that he said about this was that this is basically this is basically Urban Meyer trying to do Tim Tebow a solid because of there's course. a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of years and no, here's the reason though. There's a certain amount of years that you have to play in the, in the NFL before you're eligible for their, uh, for basically long-term benefits. Like once you retire, once you retire, the league still takes care of you basically. And uh, Ted Johnson believes that this could be what Urban Meyer is doing for Tebow because of the fact that nobody would probably still take a chance on him. You know, I believe they said, he said that Tebow has to play, I believe three games this year. For him to become eligible for that, uh, you know, for that that uh, benefit, basically, that's when it'll it'll officially kick in that he'll become eligible for it whenever he ends up retiring. After that, so this right. basically could be a way of Urban Meyer giving doing him a solid, essentially. What do you what do you think about that? Do you think that that could be some, that that could be something that uh, that Meyer is potentially doing here by bringing in Tebow as as like a tight end? By this plan,
1: I still think it's a big mistake either way. I mean, what do you I don't expect much of Tebow to do anything, regardless of position. He has a chance back, you know, when he was a quarterback in his younger days, but ah. I can't see that I I just can't see it happening.
0: Well, you know, I still don't understand why the Jets didn't give him an opportunity. You know, they traded for him and after that it was it was almost like they basically acquired him just to just to be a bench warmer essentially. Like he was never he was never really gonna see any time whatsoever in New York. So Yeah. You know, they basically acquired him just to have a backup quarterback. Which, in my opinion, didn't really make that much sense considering what he had just done for Denver. I mean, I understand Denver getting rid of him because, I mean, obviously, you know, you're bringing in Peyton Manning. You know, you're not going to – you might as well get something for Tebow at that point instead of having him just basically waste away as a backup uh as a backup quarterback but it, it I don't know it just it just seemed almost like he was never really given an opportunity after he left Denver to really do right. anything so that's why he ultimately ended up going into be- into baseball, you know. So, I don't know. It's it's uh it's kind of a weird situation with Tebow, but I will okay. say he definitely looks he definitely looks a lot bigger as a tight end than he did as a quarterback. So that might be something that he you know, potentially Jay. has going for him. No, he really does. If you've seen. If you've seen any of the uh, any of the photos that have been circulating around with him and Trevor Lawrence out there in oh, yeah. uh, out there in Jacksonville, you know. And we have a bit of an interesting matchup here right now. About seven and a half minutes to go. Yes. Utah was a two point lead over Memphis. Uh, Memphis was down by as mu- by as much as double digits earlier. Oh, that's a bad screen. That's a that's a uh, mental mistake there by by the Grizzlies. Plenty of time, plenty of time, time. Yeah, but that's a that's a turnover that um, could kill some of the some of the momentum that they've had this quarter. Uh. And both uh, both Brooks uh, Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr all with 5 fouls apiece. So they are in foul, they are definitely in foul trouble. Good. But it look it looks like this might be yeah, this is a turnover actually by the Jazz. So you know, I said last week, I said Memphis would be my uh was going to be my uh my my uh dark horse for the Western yes. Conference. And I mean, so far from what we've seen, even even when they lost Game Two, John Morant still put up forty-two points. So, you know, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of fight in this Memphis team. I don't think if they're going to go down to Utah, they're not going to they're not going to go down easily like the Boston Celtics did the first two games against the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But I mean, let's let's get your thoughts, Lou. So far on the on the different series that we've seen uh, in the NBA so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just starting out with Boston and Brooklyn. You know, it didn't really look like we were gonna. It didn't really look like we were gonna get a competitive series. No, we didn't. between these two. Surprise, surprise. You know, with uh, especially with Boston missing uh, missing Jalen Brown for the whole series, you know, it it really looked like it was going to be a sweep, considering the fact that uh, Boston got swept during the season series by Brooklyn, and all of a sudden in Game Three. It, I mean, it took a fifteen-point yeah. performance from Tatum, but somehow Boston was able to was able to pull through with the victory.
1: So, yes,
0: and we kind of saw the reemergence, actually, of Cleveland uh, of the Cleveland version of Tristan Thompson. So maybe, perhaps. Boston has a little bit more fight in them than than people thought here but uh, there was another, you know there's another another series as well here with um milwaukee sweeping uh miami today you know I mentioned when uh after you ended up uh leaving the call that you know, Miami and Boston, they were just in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Yes. And, you know, the fact that Miami got swept and Boston had such a such a horrible season this year, you know, it kind of makes you think that maybe perhaps the uh, – that not – people shouldn't take uh, – the play that was going on in the NBA bubble to really mean anything. I mean, when you think about it, you know, L.A., the the Lakers, they were one of the, uh, you know, they were one of the top teams of the NBA bubble, yet they finished off the season this year as the number seven seed. They had to go into the play-in tournament. And now, uh, you know now, obviously, the you know they currently hold a two a two one series lead uh, over the Phoenix Suns, but you know there was keep keep in mind obviously with them playing through COVID, uh, there were there were instances where maybe perhaps. Players' minds wouldn't be fully set on playing basketball, and they're worried about their family, about being separated from their families, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, do you think, Lou, that maybe perhaps uh, the the play from teams inside the NBA bubble was different because of that? I mean the fact that now, you know, we're start we're seeing teams like, like Toronto for example, uh, the Raptors, they didn't even make the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah. Well the bubble figure everybody, you know, pretty much we're all in that we're all in there. Uh some I just think we're able to get better of it and some um, you know haven't. I mean let's it. the Raptors of course are missing you know we're missing, you know, Kawhi. So right then and there, you probably figure how well we're going to do this year, anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Obviously, you know the fact that um, the fact that Kawhi Leonard he obviously ended up going to L.A., but also you know keep in mind it it it, it, just, it really seems like Toronto, with the exception of. With the exception of losing Sergi Baca, they didn't really lose anybody else compared to the yeah. team that they had last year. So you know, they had they had minimal minimal losses. They came back with pretty much close to the same team that they had last year, yet for some yeah. reason they performed so poorly this year. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm almost thinking that maybe, perhaps, some of these teams last year were able to capitalize on the fact that, and you know, there there were players that did say this that, uh, you know, there was at one point a sense of maybe we should, you know, maybe we should uh, we should get together and basically. Uh, try to force our way out of, of the, of this bubble here, you know, basically walk out essentially. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe perhaps the, the reason why we saw a team like the Lakers dominate the way they did last year was because of the fact that they were able to take advantage of these certain matchups that they saw during the playoffs last year, because of team that players may have been in a different in a different mindset, as well as the fact that I mean, you know, it was just a different it was just a different setup compared to uh, compared to the teams that we're seeing in the playoffs this year. because I'm I mean the Lakers they entered they entered the uh, the bubble last year as one of the as one of the top seeds and yet this year they're the number 7 seed so it's almost like with a new season keep in keep in mind when lebron lebron's first season as a as a laker he didn't even make the playoffs it was the first right. time in his entire career that he wasn't on a playoff team. So, you know, it it does kind of make me wonder if maybe perhaps the NBA bubble sort of maximized uh, some teams a lot higher than where they normally would be. right? Right. Uh, well, I don't know if you, is, it everybody, but... yeah, you know, it, it did affect everybody, but at the same time, you know, it's like who's who's best suited to take advantage of a situation like that. You know what what roster has the best opportunity? You know to take advantage of a situation where players may not be 100% invested in, you know, playing basketball. So, yeah. uh, I want to get your thoughts. What did you think about Phil Mickelson being the, becoming the oldest golfer to win a PGA title at the age of 50? He's a nicer guy. I mean really And he, bro- he broke the record He broke the previous record By I believe it was A year and seven months
1: Really I thought it, I thought it was uh, Jack Nicklaus Because I think he was the last one to have that, um,
0: that old Nope The oldest one was Let me scroll up here uh the oldest one wait a minute where is the hang on i got it here okay yeah the oldest the uh, uh oldest p g a winner was Julius boros who was forty oh. forty eight years and four months old when hmm. he won it in nineteen sixty eight But uh, Mickelson, he was as lo- he was as high of an underdog as uh, he he started off the tournament as a three hundred to one underdog in the betting market. Well, we consider
1: you know he lost a lot of his rankings uh, last year. You know he fell out of the top one hundred, and nobody gave him a shot. Yep. You
0: know they they a yep.
1: off. Who yeah, looks stupid evil?
0: And, and he entered he entered the final frame of play at 13 to 4 odds yeah and he also he uh in order to win he beat the likes of uh Brooks Kepka um as well as uh runner up uh Louis Louisen I think I think his name is I can't um, say his name to save my life. Yeah, no. Neither neither can I. At, at <laughs> this point, but just, uh, just looking at it uh right now, I'm fi- I'm finding it hard to uh I'm finding it hard to uh you know, to sort of to try and say his name uh clearly. Yeah. Right now. Uh, a, a few other bits of news uh, before we go off here. Um, Major League Baseball, they announced that Mickey Callaway of the LA Angels has been placed yep. on the ineligible list following their investigation into his harassment allegations against him. Uh, I, I should say, uh, I should say the former LA Angels pitching coach, because he has now been right. fired by the Angels. Yep. Um. And he will be suspended until the end of tw- of the 2022 championship season. So not this Assuming season. but we have one next season. Assuming we have. Assuming one, yes. Yeah.
1: Assuming we have a 2022 season because you know I don't think both sides are even considering even speaking right now about this. So it looks like we're going to be in for some deep shit in 2022. A potential lockout or strike, either 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 or the other.
0: Oh, that is not good. That is first, not folks. good.
1: Yeah, but don't be. But we shouldn't be surprised because we've been kind of expecting this for the last two years anyway.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that that's true considering how Tony Clark has handled negotiations with the uh, as the uh, MLBPA. What else Yeah, it's that's been this has kind of been bubbling uh underneath the surface for quite a bit here. Yeah. Uh also uh Corey Kluber, he has a subscapularis muscle strain for the Yankees yep. and he will be shut down for the next month according to Aaron Boone. Uh he plans to get a second opinion on the injury, but not great news, obviously for the uh, for the no. Yankees right hander. And just As a week he after he got a no hitter. Yeah, exactly. A week a-, a week after he got the no hitter, ca- it kind of makes you wonder if maybe perhaps his uh, performance in the no hitter had uh, had a little bit to do with, or uh, you know, had a little bit to do with the oh, effect yeah. that it had on his arm. Sure,
1: sure.
0: And he's not the only pitcher, though, that uh, no. that went down with an injury. As uh, the Chicago White White Sox young uh, uh, young lefty uh, Michael Kopech left Wednesday's game with an apparent injury after he landed awkwardly on the mound during the seventh inning. Uh, he yes. went down after getting Lane Thomas to pop up in the seventh, and he limped off of the field on his own power. Uh, no further information available, but it's not good uh, for a kid who literally just uh, just recovered from Tommy John surgery, and now yeah, it's obviously great. something different. Uh, the Yankees, they also placed uh, infielder Luke Voigt on the 10-day injured list with an oblique strain. Uh yep. considered to be a grade two <laughs> oblique strain, and he just started feeling it last Saturday, uh, right. according to Aaron Boone. He was batting just 182 with one homer on the season after he ended up missing significant time with a torn meniscus, uh, from what it says here. Yeah. Also, some other injury news in the NHL. Uh, Casey DeSmith missed the entire first round for the Pittsburgh Penguins with a soft tissue groin injury, it says. That's why they had to turn to Tristan Jerry for the entire first round and and why he uh, completely sucked. Um, Yes. And Evgeny Malkin, Gino Malkin, he also had a knee injury that he was playing through during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh-huh. Um so he was nowhere near a hundred percent. And actually he sat out the first two games because of it.
1: All, all right, right, Steve when that well, I'm gonna wrap
0: it up. All right, Lou, yeah. Uh, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, we will hey. be back next Saturday for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, A reminder to those uh, who may listen to this podcast, you can get uh, access to our podcast by uh, subscribing to the Missy AE podcast on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Also a reminder for Survivor fans, this Thursday and Friday night, Thursday night, we'll be ranking the top ten heroes And also, we will have an interview with Survivor Co-Wrong's Joe Del Campo on Friday night. So be sure to tune in for that. Everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Good night,
1: folks.